This week, our focus is going to be on the woman at the well, which is found in the fourth chapter in the Gospel of John. And this is just another amazing story of transformation. And that's the the wonderful thing that we see throughout all of scriptures, all of these moments in time of of major uh, transformation in individual lives. We see that with Paul when he was on his way to Damascus. He was referred to as Saul at that point in the scriptures. And on his way there, he was brought to his face on the ground as Jesus came to him and appeared to him and, and had a conversation with him. And that one encounter that Paul had, that major encounter, which was such a, a, a quick moment in time, and yet it was so profound, it transformed Paul's life. How about Abraham? I think of Abraham when, when he met the Lord. He was worshiping the moon god with his family. And, and, and Abraham is, is one of our heroes of the faith. He's mentioned 230 times in the Bible. 67 times uh, Abraham is mentioned in the New Testament. But Abraham, Abram, as he was called at that point, had not even spoken to the creator of all things until he was 70 years old. You see, God comes at the exact right moment. God loves building relationships with people through conversations. We see that at the burning bush with Moses. We reflected on a few weeks ago with uh, Nick Gherkin when he preached uh, about the Pharisee, Nicodemus. Our Savior over and over and over comes to us through conversations. And today, I want to look at another conversation. A conversation that took place in the most unlikely place with the most unlikely company, at the most unlikely time. And unlike the conversations that happen around the, uh, the water cooler today, this particular conversation had eternal effects. It was a day like any other day for, for this young lady. She lived in a town called Syker, which was in uh, Samaria. And she... Uh, was coming up to get some water. But it was about high noon, which means it was an awkward time for a young lady to be coming up to get water because most of the time, tradition tells us, the women would go during dusk and they would go together. It would be make it into more of a social event. This woman's uh, religious traditions were different than the Jewish uh, apostles, but in some ways there were some similarities as, as this woman would have been familiar with the first five books of the scriptures, the Torah. This woman, she was coming by herself, carrying her watering jar, walking up to the well. I don't know if, if, if it was just because uh, she was an outcast within her community of why she was coming by herself or if she had used her water during a late night the previous night and and just needed some water after sleeping in uh, for a lengthy amount of time. I am not sure. Whatever the case, 
this particular lady was coming by herself, and she found herself at the well at this exact time in history, which is very important. When we look back one chapter at Nicodemus, as I mentioned about Nick Gherkin preaching on Nicodemus, Nicodemus, he sought Jesus out. He knew all about Jesus' miracles that he was performing. He knew a lot of stuff that Jesus was teaching. He snuck out in the middle of the night and sought Jesus. He wanted to get a one-on-one with him. This woman, completely opposite. This woman didn't know anything about Jesus, and she didn't care. This woman came in the middle of the day by herself, She didn't know any of the miracles. She didn't know any of the backstory. All she wanted was to get some water and get back to her life. However, just like Nicodemus, this woman at the well's conversation was going to be life-changing. When you have a one-on-one conversation with the Savior of the world, it affects your life. I love that Jesus does that. I love that that Jesus cares so much about each of us that he will come to us as individuals. Yeah, we we worship together as as a body of believers. We take communion together. We sing together. But the hope is, is that when you're spending time with the great I am, the creator of the world, the almighty That's a one-on-one experience with him. If you haven't already, would you turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John? Like I said, we're going to be in in the fourth chapter in John for the majority of our study. And as we read through this chapter, I, I would ask that you join me in asking the Holy Spirit to do the teaching, the Holy Spirit to guide us through the words that he has authored. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you teach us today. We ask that you guide us, that you open our eyes. We give you all the praise. We ask that you are glorified in everything that we say and everything that we think, in our focus. Thank you for your life and death and resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I'm breaking the sermon into two different parts here. Uh, we're going we're gonna to first talk about a whole section about one of the people at this well, Jesus. And, and we want to reflect on, on who he is and, and on what, uh, what he has done, not only uh, for us, but specifically for this woman at the well uh, and, and he's someone that we should be rejoicing over. He's someone that you as individuals and as families and as a church that we should rejoice over the name of Jesus. Amen? Jesus is our ultimate focus. Let's start in John chapter 4, verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. 
Our first point for today is that we can rejoice that we serve a sovereign God. We serve a sovereign God. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. I think you and I can agree, at least a majority of us, that we serve a sovereign God. That we serve one who's the almighty, the all-knowing, the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. But if you're like me, there are times where you start questioning the fact, am I truly trusting in the sovereignty of God? Am I trying to manipulate that sovereignty sometimes where, where I'm, uh, I, I've lost faith in the provision of God? Could be financially or physically or mentally or relationally. I think of Isaiah. Can we truly declare the words that Isaiah said, I will wait for the Lord who is, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob and I will hope in him. I will wait for the Lord. There's a story of this family in Chicago and, and uh, four girls, one boy, mom and dad. And in the they're just enjoying life and, and having a great time. And, and all of a sudden, their house catches on fire. And they get everybody out of the house with the exception of the boy. And the house completely burns down. The boy dies. And the family starts grieving. Well, after a certain period of time, mom and dad had a discussion like, we're going to take the girls, the four girls, let's, let's go on a cruise. We're, we're going we're gonna to kind of take our minds off of it. We're going to go on a trip. And, and so they go to New York, and they're going to head out of the New York port. And, and just before they're about to take off, the dad gets a call, an emergency phone call, that he has to go uh, deal with something for work. Dad says, I will meet you in England. They're leaving New York, heading to England. I will meet you in England, and, and I've, I've got to deal with this. About three hours into the, the cruise, heading towards England, another ocean liner runs into the family ship. In the cold Atlantic Ocean waters, it took 12 minutes for that ocean liner to go to the floor of the ocean. In one quick Swoop, that man lost his son, his four daughters, and his wife. The question is, what does he say about the sovereignty of God? You see, you have stories, not exactly like that, but some pretty traumatic Maybe it's from your childhood. Maybe it's in current time. But these things start getting us to question the sovereignty of God. Can, can we say, I will put my trust in him? I trust in everything that God does. You see, that's what the Bible teaches us, is that God is sovereign. 
Can I trust in God's saving sovereignty? Can I humble myself, demonstrating a trusting obedience to God's word, relying on God's sovereign purposes? Can I say those things? Friends, we have to understand, we have to remind ourselves daily that Jesus is in charge of all circumstances. He's in charge of all circumstances, and today is just another example of that. All of the the variables that took place for this specific meeting to happen at this specific place. I I even think about the fact that Jesus sent his disciples away to go get food. Because if Jesus and all of his uh, disciples and and whoever else was along with the apostles were, were there, the woman probably wouldn't even have come to the well. She would have turned around. She would have got out of there. And the location that he, that he went to, that exact well, at that exact time, Jesus' timing is perfect. Absolutely perfect. The second thing we should rejoice in is that because of love, the Almighty sent his Son. Verse 6 in chapter 4, John chapter 4. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. I love the fact that John includes uh, this in in his story, that the Holy Spirit uh, guided John to include all this stuff about Jesus' humanity. Jesus was wearied, it said. Jesus was exhausted, This is a huge deal to understand. The creator of the entire universe, the one who did it in six days, is tired after a long, hot day of walking. He was wore out. Two of my sons were uh, adopted from Ethiopia in, in 2011. We lived in Indiana, just north of Fort Wayne, and I was the superintendent at a Christian school out there. And in a couple months after we adopted them, uh, it was in September, my, uh, my school was hosting a 5K run. And my son, nine years old, Jacob, it was Jacob and Reggie, and, and Jacob was the nine-year-old, Jacob was quite the runner. And so I said, Jacob, do you want to run in the 5K race. You can run with your dad. And Jacob's like, okay. He didn't know what it was. And so I got to be at the very front of the line, and I was super excited uh, to be in this race. And, and there was all kinds of fanfare going on. Uh, there was a band playing right in Auburn, Indiana, and, and it was just an exciting time. And as I, I actually pulled the trigger for the shotgun start, we were in the front. Man, Jacob and I, we were sprinting, absolutely sprinting. And as we're going through the crowd, I'm waving to family and friends and, and all happy until the quarter mile mark. <laughs> and that quarter mile mark, I realized that I was already exhausted. As a wise dad, I I looked up and I saw another runner, a a gentleman. I said, Jacob, follow that guy. And Jacob just zoomed off, not even sweating probably at that point. I was sweating profusely. 
So the race went on and on, and, and, and finally, here comes Jacob, 23 minutes into the race, and the nine-year-old finishes, and, and oh, that's great, yay. And then my wife, oh, when's my husband going to come? And then all of a sudden, here comes the guy in the wheelchair. Crosses the finish line. No husband yet. So Sherry said, my husband is so special. He went to the very back to run with the last place person so they wouldn't be last. What a great guy I'm married to. Yeah, Sherry did not meet a, marry a great guy because I didn't care about anybody during that race. In my mind, I was running as fast as I could. And I was running at a snail's pace. And I just kept going. And, and there was this one particular person that was coming up behind me. I'm like, there's no way I'm letting them beat me. And I ran as hard as I could. And when I finished that, in however long, I was exhausted. I was pouring sweat. And you know what? I remember this part completely. I didn't want to talk to Sherry. I didn't want to talk to the kids. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I wanted to get home, get the largest glass of ice water I could, take a shower, and take a nap. The last thing I wanted to do was have a conversation. I'm thankful that our Savior is not that same way. Our Savior is not like me. You see, he was exhausted too. And yet, he was ready for a conversation. He was ready to, to, to dig in, to make a difference in people's lives. The author gave us an excellent visual of our Savior's humanity. And it's so important for us to understand that Jesus was fully man and fully God at the exact same time. Luke 2 tells us of Jesus' birth as a baby. John 19, just like John 4, talks about his desire to have something to drink. Matthew 4 tells us that Jesus got hungry. Matthew 8 tells us about his emotion of marveling. John 11, that our Savior could cry. It's simply out of the love of God that Jesus came to earth amongst us to experience the pain and the sorrow and the happiness and the joy and the excitement and the weariness. God loves us so much that he sent his son to us. God loved the woman at the well so much that he sent his son out of eternity to meet with her at that exact moment in time. We serve a sovereign God. We rejoice that the Almighty sent his son. And thirdly, we can rejoice that the Son of God came to save sinners. He came to save sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Matthew 9.13 But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In our study today, we're seeing a woman who was an outcast. 
The scriptures say here in John 4 that she had five husbands already. She was divorced from all of them, was living with another man. And, and, and the Bible's clear that she was an excellent company. Not her present company, but all of us. You see, Romans says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Whether Jews or Greeks, you're under sin. Even, even though the woman at the well was a sinner, Jesus wanted to be with her. Jesus wanted to minister to her. Jesus wanted uh, to offer her eternal life. And we rejoice we can rejoice over this wonderful thing that it doesn't matter what we've done in our past. That's so important to understand that it does not matter what you have done in your past. You can still have that conversation with Jesus Christ. That's an amazing thing. I know our prison ministry group, that's one of their messages that they carry. Anyone who hears him and opens the door, he will come in. Anyone. My wife, Sherry, she's taken a, uh, she's working on her degree for social work and, and she's, she's taking a class right now in comparative religion. And in this class, there's a slight bend away from Christianity. Almost a mocking of Christianity. And they're talking about all these different uh, categories and to put different religions in. And the category they start off with is exclusionary. And, and, and the mocking of Christianity starts coming out. That, that, that Christianity is, is completely exclusionary. Sherry raised her hand and, and asked a, a question to follow up with, with that. And, and then a young man spoke up. And he started sharing scriptures with the professor and said, yes, 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 Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except for him, except through him. And that is, that is exclusionary. However, there are scriptures after scriptures that talk about uh, welcoming all people. Anyone can come to the Father. Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I'm guessing this lady, this woman at the well, that she was weary, that she was heavy laden. She had a lot on her mind, a lot of things going on in her life, maybe some guilt that she was dealing with. And Jesus came to her because he loved her. Because he loved her. We serve a sovereign God, a God that loves us so much, a God that came to save us from our sin. And our fourth point, our fourth point today is a reminder that we should rejoice that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Verse 7 of chapter 4. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. When he was asking this woman for a drink, he was literally saying, share your cup with me. Share your cup with me. 
I mean, there were so many things that were um, out of the ordinary here. Number one, this man is having a conversation with a woman out in the open. That didn't happen in those traditions. Number two, it was a Jew speaking with a Samaritan. If you remember in, in, in the book of Amos, we were talking, Amos was prophesying how, how the northern kingdom was going to be destroyed, and that happened in 722 BC. The Assyrians came in, and they destroyed, and, and, and they deported tons of the people, but the people that were left, they intermarried, and they called, they, 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 they had babies, and they called them half-breeds. And they, they threw in uh, different religious beliefs and practices. And, and, and the Jews would have nothing to do with Samaritans, let alone sharing a cup, putting your lips on the same thing that, that a Samaritan, a, a woman, would have. She couldn't believe what Jesus was suggesting. See, these Samaritans were unclean ceremonially. That makes me think kind of about history. Makes me, makes me ponder about uh, how one group sees another group as worthless or meaningless, inferior. From slavery and segregation in the history of America to the horde memories of Hitler and the Nazi party, and anything in between that and then outside of that, all around the world from the beginning of time, we have seen that one group will posture themselves over another group because they think they're superior for some reason, because they have something, because they accomplish something. We see sometimes that with one nation against another nation. One gender against another gender. One school against another. One side of town against the other. One church against another church. The truth remains, no matter where you're from, no matter who you are, no matter uh, what you know, no matter what you look like, no matter how tall or short you are, uh, no matter how young or old you are, no matter how much money you have or don't have, no matter what education you have or don't have, no matter what you drive or if you don't drive at all, no matter where you go to church, absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. That's an amazing truth. Romans 8.35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just because this was a Samaritan, because it was a woman, it was not going to separate Jesus from having a conversation with him. We see that all the time. Bring the children unto me. Let that woman speak to me who just touched my cloak. Let, let those lepers come to me that are unclean. 
Tradition has zero power when it comes to love of Jesus. We make too many excuses of why we don't have conversations with certain people. That's what this whole sermon series is about, is for you to appreciate the beautiful conversations that Jesus is having with other people and, and how they're, he, he's transforming lives. But I, I think we need to reflect on our own conversations, on the conversations that we are having. And too many times we make excuses for that other person. Maybe we don't, we're, maybe we're not being uh, prejudiced towards them for some reason, but we may be giving them excuses. <sighs> you know what? They are, that's a great Mormon person. He, he's so into his religion and, he, and his faith, and he is just, he's just such a great guy. I'm not going to talk to him about Jesus. You know what? They, my, my brother, he doesn't, he doesn't believe in Jesus. He's an atheist. Why do I want to cause an a, 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 a issue in our relationship? I just, I just want to have a good relationship with him. I'm not going to have this conversation about Jesus. And that goes on and on and on. Your workplace, uh, uh, stopping at the, the gas station, going to the grocery store. All of those different ways of where we start showing prejudice of why we're not having conversations about Jesus. So I urge you, I, I encourage you to seek the Holy Spirit and, and ask for his guidance, how you can have conversations. Jesus did not discriminate who he talked to, no matter if it's children, women, men, people who hated him, people who hated, who was hated by others. The fifth thing, the fifth thing we can rejoice over is that the gift of salvation is free for the asking. These are all focuses on Jesus, the one side of the conversation here at the, with the woman at the well. Verse 10 of chapter 4, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us a well and drank from it himself, and as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. I thought about a story when I was thinking about her situation uh, of this young man that was between his junior and senior year. And the young man wanted a car so bad. And he comes up to dad and says, Dad, I'm going to be a senior in high school and I really, really would like a car. The dad handed him a book and said, Son, read this book. And after you're done reading it, come to me and we'll talk about the car. Two weeks go by and the young man comes back, Dad, Dad, let's talk about the car. Did you read the book, son? No. Go read the book. 
Another two weeks goes by, the son comes back. Dad, let's talk about the car. Dad said, did you read the book? I started to finish the book and then come back. That went on all summer long. End of the summer, son comes up. Dad, we've not talked about the car. It's been all summer. Said, you didn't read the book. He goes, how do you know, dad? Go get the book. Son runs, goes, grabs the book, hands it back to dad. Dad opens the book to the second to last page. And on the bottom of the second to last page, there was a handwritten note. And the son, son read that and it said, Son, your mother and I have purchased a car for you. The keys are in my pocket and the car is at your aunt's house. All you have to do is ask for the keys. Thank you for doing what I asked you to do. You know, I don't know how long this conversation lasted with the woman at the well. But I knew though, I do know that the key to all of her issues, the key to all of her worries, the key to all of her joy, the key to her eternity was sitting right in front of her. Right in front of her. All she had to do was ask. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. The woman at the well was just like any other person before they knew Jesus. Just like any other person, the woman at the well was blind. She was blind to the fact that she needed Jesus. And when you're blind like that, you're blind to the fact that you are blind. You don't understand. The woman didn't know Jesus before this moment, but she knew that something was off in her life. She knew that she was in some type of rat race where, where things were, were happening all over her. But the man that sat before her was the key to her blindness and the key to her salvation. And all she had to do was ask for him. The woman, she didn't want to carry the water down and back over and over every single day. She wanted a way out of that life. And that's the amazing part of salvation. That our Savior of the world can show us to the light, can take the blindness from our eyes. Isaiah 42, 16 says, I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. Psalm 146, 8 says, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Jesus is about to give sight to the blind in this particular conversation. You see, we serve a, a, a sovereign God who knows everything, who is everywhere, and has always existed. And while we were still sinners, God, because of his great love, he sent us his son Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, so that he can live as fully man and fully God. We can rejoice over the fact that it doesn't matter what we've done in this life. No matter who we are, Christ's love is for us. His salvation is available to anyone who asks. 
And this is the truth that the woman at the well was hearing at this conversation. And something happens. We have a conversation with the Savior of the world. There are some things that need to happen after that. This is the second portion of the message. First, we need to confess our sins before him. This is the part of chapter 4 where Jesus calls the woman out on her sin, and the woman finally, in verse 18, admits her sin. The, the woman had started the process of humbling herself where, where she stopped calling him uh, Jew and you, and she changed her word to prophet. That was, that was quite a process of humbling that she went through. First John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is judicial forgiveness. It means that when someone comes to faith with Jesus Christ, when they confess their, their sin before him and give their life to Jesus Christ, they have been forgiven once and for all. All the sins that, that they've ever committed before and all the sins that they'll ever commit in the future has been taken care of. No additional sacrifice will ever be needed. That's why Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. When the woman at the well confessed her sins and gave her life to Jesus, which I believe she did, all of her sins in her entire life were cast as far as the east is from the west. That's a glorious thing. However, Jesus would teach the Samaritans here at Syker for the next couple days. And in that teaching, I'm sure that he would be teaching about the continuous confession, the confession for relational forgiveness. My son Reggie, Reggie's always going to be my son, says it on his birth certificate that I'm his father. But if Reggie disregards what I'm asking him, and, and Reggie is, is all over the place. Reggie can really hinder our relationship. He can put a wedge in our relationship. And Reggie's job is to come back and, and, and seek for forgiveness from me. And when he does that, just like the prodigal son, the father of the prodigal son, open arms. You welcome your child back in, and you love them and care about them and, and even throw them a party for uh, just grateful that they have come back. This is what the Lord wants us to con continuously do with him. He wants us to continuously come before him, knowing that we are not perfect, and keep coming before him and, and seeking forgiveness. He is all-knowing. He already knows all things that you have done but to seek him on a continuous basis. That's why, if you remember King David, King David said, I, I, I can't keep silent anymore because when I keep silent, my, my, my body starts wasting away. My bones become brittle. I need to confess to the Lord. After we've come to know Jesus, after we've, we've bowed our, our, our knee to him and confessed our sins and, and have uh, built that relationship with him. 
Our second thing we need to do is we need to start having conversations with other people. You and I need to proclaim our Savior. We need to proclaim him. After some discussion with Jesus and at the, uh, about the appropriate place where to worship, uh, she was asking the woman at the well, for the first time in all the Gospels, hears Jesus say, I am. Jesus referring to himself as the Almighty. A wonderful, awesome moment in time. And we fast forward to verse 28. It says, so the woman left her watering jar. She just left it. The whole purpose she came up there didn't matter anymore because now it was about Jesus. And she, she ran to the people into her town and, and said to them, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Think of that. This woman who had five husbands was living with another man. She's like, I met a man. This is great. Why are they even listening to her? But I'm sure it was what she was presenting in her life. She may have even been confessing things to them, saying, she told everything that I did, and here are the things. It says, they went out in town and were coming to him. Verse 39, many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Matthew 28, 19 puts it pretty clearly. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is why conversations are so important. This is why, uh, why you have to realize that your conversation with the people in your life can have eternal effects. And if we could take a cue from our Savior, we can understand that our conversations, they don't have to just be uh, stuffy. We don't have to get all, hey, how you doing? I'm going to tell you the Apostles' Creed right now. We don't have to get to that point where, where we're uh, speaking major theology. Share your story of how God changed you and go from there. Help people to understand why you were separated from Jesus. Why Jesus had to even go to the cross. Let them ask Jesus for the keys. You know, before we can have these conversations, though, we need to be seeking the Holy Spirit. Because it's Him who will guide us. It's Him who will give us the words. It's Him who will give glory to Jesus. And that's the goal. All the woman at the well did was tell her story. And it brought many people to Jesus. That will lead us to our last last part. After spending time with Jesus, we need to confess our sins before him. We need to proclaim our Savior to other people. And finally, we need to grow up in our salvation. Grow up in our salvation. First Peter 2.2 says, Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Verse 40 and on, we see that Jesus stayed with the Samaritans for two days. At the end of the stay, after hearing the words of Jesus for those 48 hours, the people proclaimed the following. Verse 42. 
They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. 2 Timothy 3.16 reminds us that all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is profitable. Jesus said in Matthew 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We should crave God's word. We should dig into God's word. We should desire uh, to keep reading it, to grow grow in our salvation, to grow in our understanding so we could share the word with others. We shouldn't keep the treasure for ourselves. We shouldn't hold it and, and, and keep that treasure. We should give it away to as many as will listen to us. This is why we read the word. This is why we study the word. This is why we trust the word. The woman at the well was changed this very day in history. Her life was affected because Jesus showed up. Because she heeded his words. Maybe you've known Jesus for 40 years. Are you heeding his words today? Are you studying God's word? Are you having intentional conversations uh, to share the love of Jesus to those people around you? Are you focused on other people? Are you at the grocery store and you're pushing your cart and, and you see that person down the aisle and you're like, oh boy. And you turn right so you don't have to see them. You don't have to converse with them. Some here today may, be, may see themselves as the, as the woman at the well. The one that needs to confess their sins. That needs to come to Jesus. That needs to ask Jesus for the keys of life. To eternity. And some people need to look to Jesus and see how conversations can happen with anyone and how they can affect people for eternity, not just that individual, but even the people that that person knows. But in the end, and I think you can agree with me, I hope that Jesus gets all the glory. May Jesus have the glory over this church. May Jesus have glory uh, over this ministry. And may Jesus have glory in every conversation we have.